You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we ask that you would please speak to us now by your spirit and through your word written to us in the Bible. For you alone can save us, you alone can grow us in your faith, you alone can lead us to eternal life. And this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, if you turn in your bosom back to the Corinthians reading, there's a lot I could say about that gospel reading, isn't there? But I'll let the Spirit convict you or comfort you as he may. Uh, and you can talk to me about it after the service if you want. But let's look at the Corinthians passage because it's going to be a lot easier for me to digest and feel to hear. Uh, and follow along with me so you can make sure what I'm saying is true. Well, I wonder if you have a favorite preacher. Uh, maybe you listen to their podcast when you're running, or when you're at the gym, when you're cooking. I don't know when people listen to podcasts. Whenever you listen to your favorite preacher, maybe you follow them from service to service, from church to church. Uh, we often talk uh, in our clergy meetings that, about how each clergy member has a different style of preaching, and each person might like a different clergy member for that different style. And there's nothing uh, wrong with having a favorite, favorite preacher at the Advent or uh, on your podcasts. Uh, but what we'll see from Paul's letter is that we need to be careful that we don't fall into the danger of holding that preacher up too highly, of holding that preacher up above other people. We need to be careful to avoid the trap of idolizing our preachers and pledging our allegiance to them alone rather than to God. From the very beginning of Paul's letter to the Christians in Corinth, we read about the division and quarreling that's among them. Paul notes in chapter 1 that he received reports from Chloe's people about the factions that had arisen, some following Paul, some Apollos, and others Cephas. Through the cultural forces and influences around them, they had begun evaluating each pastor based on how eloquent and how wise their preaching sounded. So through the first two chapters of Paul's letter, he sets about explaining that this is the wrong way of doing it, because the wisdom of this world is actually foolishness, whereas the wisdom of God, which is revealed fully in the cross of Jesus Christ, though it seems like foolishness to the world, it's actually the power of God to salvation. So in chapter 3 in our passage, Paul continues on this correcting course, correcting the Corinthians for their worldly foolishness. Though he had once lauded them at the beginning of the, of the book uh, as those who are sanctified saints, those who'd been spiritually enriched with all speech and all knowledge, he now rebukes them for acting out of their flesh. Look at verse 1 with me of chapter 3 of this letter to the Corinthians. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. It's important to notice here that Paul isn't saying that they aren't Christians. He isn't saying that he has to talk to them as people who don't have the Spirit within them, but rather as baby Christians, as those who've just come to faith. And because of this, he says he has to speak to them in a way that they would be able to digest what he is saying. He can't say anything weighty, only those things that go down easily. It's because they are acting spiritually immature. And so he has to speak to them in the same way that he did when they first became Christians. 
even though some years have passed since that happened, and they should have spiritually matured. But as one commentator notes, the mere lapse of time does not bring Christian maturity, even though I wish it did. Now my son, Jonathan, has just turned two years old, uh, and he's quite good at speaking. I don't, he doesn't speak well around strangers, around you all, but at home, he won't shut up. Uh, and he's got this annoying habit at the moment of responding to everything we say by saying, huh, 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 huh? Like, he totally understands what's going on, but he just says, huh, all the time. Like, he'll do 20 of those. And so we, we get frustrated at him, and we have to speak to him in, in simpler and clearer words so we make sure our message is getting through. Now, I'm sure envy parents don't remember any of that at all. That doesn't make any sense. But he, we know that he, he gets it because he'll repeat back to us what he's just said, uh, what we've just said to him. Uh, but we, there's often this rephrasing and retelling, making sure that he can digest what we have to say to him. And so the Corinthians' behavior here makes Paul feel like he has to speak to them in the same, same way that I speak to my son, Jonathan, with clear and simple words. And we get a fuller picture of why that is in verse 3, where he highlights the jealousy and quarreling, quarreling among them. And this behavior is not becoming of those who have the Holy Spirit within them. The Spirit whose fruit, among other things, is love and peace. See, they're not acting in a way that's consistent with who God has made them to be, who God has saved them and called them to be. Rather, they're acting out of their old nature, the old nature that was nailed to the cross and crucified with Christ. And the main charge that Paul has against them is that they have been idol-worshipping. Now, they haven't literally been worshipping physical idols, sacrificing to false gods, but they have elevated the status of their preachers above and beyond what they are, and even above and beyond God. Their focus has subtly shifted away from God and, and been placed on their preacher, with the result that they've been worshipping their favourite preacher instead of God. And then to make matters worse, they've been arguing over whose idol is the best. And they've created these factions and begun pledging their loyalties to certain uh, teams rather than to Christ. Ultimately, what the, the Corinthians were doing was seeking from their pastors the things that they can only get from God. They were looking to their pastors for identity, for security, for acceptance. I wonder if this is a danger in your life. Is this something that is problematic for you? Well, in verses 5 to 9, Paul sets about correcting their view of the pastors who have come to preach to them. Let's look at these verses again. Verses 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants from, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. What are Paul and Apollos? They aren't celebrities. They aren't some otherworldly, extremely holy figures. They are but men, mere servants. 
They aren't the master in charge giving the orders. They're the servants who are waiting on the Corinthians, doing their task as God has assigned it to them. And neither one outranks the other in their work. Now, don't hear this as a downplaying of the work of servants or of pastors or preachers. They are significant. I'm not just saying that because I'm one of them. They are significant, and they have great value in themselves and within the grand scheme of things, as Paul explains in verse 8. They will receive compensation for the work they do. So they have significance, but we need to make sure we put their significance in the right place. And Paul says that they aren't anything. Now, not many of you know this about me, but in high school, I was an aspiring chef. Now, the, bird, the band knows this because I told them this morning. Uh, but I took as many cooking classes as I could because they were really easy and I got to eat a lot of food and I was a teenage boy, so why wouldn't you do that? I won a cooking competition in high school. I worked in a restaurant uh, kitchen for work experience, which was horrible experience. Um, I don't know how this happened, but if you know anything about microwaves, you know not to put metal into microwaves. Somehow, I, through the stress of this kitchen, I put a metal plate in the microwave, and the, the head chef was just looking at me like, what the heck are you doing? I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. You tell me. Anyway, it was terrible, and that's why I'm not a chef anymore. So kudos to you if you've worked in the kitchen at all. But one lesson I remember from my cooking lessons, there's more than one that I remember, but the one I'm going to tell you about is the idea of mise en place, uh, which roughly translated means putting into place, or what I was taught, a place for everything and everything in its place. It's about the right organization and preparation for cooking, uh, that each ingredient, each tool, its utensil, has a place and it should be used in that right place for the best outcome of the cooking experience. Um, if that's wrong, you can come and tell me about it later and correct my mise en place understanding. But here, Paul is trying to mise en place the Corinthians in their understanding of the ministry. We need to, to, if we think we are more important than we are, then the recipe is not going to come out right, is it? It's going to be all wrong. It's only when we understand our place before God that we can get life right, whether that be ministry or full-time work or family or matters of life and salvation. Although Paul and Apollos are serving God faithfully, the praise, the worship, the accolades, the growth, it all belongs to God. Now, it's common in churches like ours to hold up ordained ministers like me or bishops as being super spiritual, as though there's two classes of Christians. The lay, that's you guys sitting in the pews, and the ordained, the clergy up the front. Those who are far from God and those who are close to God, like me. It makes sense that we might become uh, that this might become a problem uh, because the clergy are up the front. We're kind of sectioned off from you guys. We uh, say special words. We wear special clothes. I'm not wearing them today, but we wear clothes like robes and collars. But you just have to ask our wives, and they'll tell you that there's nothing special about us. The truth is that we are not any closer to God than anyone else. But it's understandable to why this belief is common when you read the Old Testament, isn't it? It was the priests who were able to commune with God. It was the priests who prayed for the people. But in Christ, in the new covenant, we have a great high priest. 
Jesus Christ. He is the final mediator between God and man. And through faith in him, we are given the Holy Spirit so that we are united to Christ and we share in his priestly status. Therefore, all believers, not just the ordained, are now of the priestly class. All believers have access to God. All believers can enter into the most holy of holy places and boldly approach the throne of God. As Paul would say, the clergy are nothing. We are mere servants given a task by God. Is God who is doing the work in us and through us. Well, what other lessons can we learn from this passage? I just want to highlight a few uh, that we see from Paul's view of ministry. First and foremost, as I was saying, the work is God's. What we see from Paul's rebuke to the Corinthians is that they'd forgotten God's place in his work of bringing them to salvation and growing them into maturity. Ultimately, Paul and Apollos are nothing, and they did nothing. It was all God doing the work. God is the one who saved them. God is the one who grew them in their faith and trust in him. And God is the one who is at work at every step of the process. Second, God uses us as his servants. Even though it is God doing the work, he chooses to use us as his servants. We're invited by his grace to join him in the work of planting and watering. We're invited to get caught up in what he is doing. This doesn't just apply to the paid staff, the clergy. This means you guys as well. You can come into contact with so many more people than I can. I can't meet and talk to everyone. I probably can meet and talk to everyone in this room tonight. But uh, (laughs) I can't uh, come into contact with all your friends and neighbours. I can't tell all the people that you work with what God is doing in your life. But you guys can. And God can use you as his servant. Thirdly, we all have different roles to play. Notice that Paul and Apollos are of the same value under God, yet they have different roles and functions. Paul's role was to plant church through evangelism. Apollos' role was to nurture the church through teaching and pastoring. They each had their part to play. Each and every one of us has a role to play in, God's, uh, in building God's church through encouraging one another to keep the faith, evangelizing our neighbors, or praying for each other We've each been given gifts by God that, we can, that he can use to bring people into his kingdom. Fourth, these roles are relatively unimportant. Despite being God's servants and each having a different role to play in tending to God's field, these roles mean nothing in the grand scheme of things. For it is God alone to be prized above all else. Don't get too big ahead of yourself. Or of us, the clergy. For your loyalty shouldn't be to the Advent or to Craig or to me. Your loyalty is to Christ alone. And then lastly, I want you to remember that you are God's field and God's building. After rebuking and correcting the Corinthians, Paul reminds them of this fundamental truth that they belong to God. Though they are sinful and prone to wonder, prone to infighting and factionism, They never ceased being gods. For though they were not acting like it, God's spirit was still dwelling within them. So let me remind you of this truth also. By the grace of God, through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you belong to God. 
the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. And you are God's field in which he longs to produce good fruit. You are God's building in which he longs to build up to the full stature of the measure of Christ. May that be so in my life and in yours also. Let me pray for that. Loving Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for the love that you do have for us in Christ Jesus, that we belong to you in him. We ask, Lord, that by your Spirit you would remind us of our place before you. Remind us that it is you who is at work in our lives, that you are the one who saved us, you are the one who grows us and nurtures us in Christ, and you are the one who brings good fruit in us. We ask that by your Spirit you would produce that fruit in our lives. And we ask these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. 